Doesn't it always feel like you could just, like, that's it. We can go home now. Yeah. <laughs> Whew. Thank you. Back in 2001, just after the September 11th attacks, I was asked to serve as the student minister at the First Universalist Church of Pittsfield, Maine. And like so many of Maine's really old Universalist churches, it was a big church. The sanctuary was easily capable of seating 250 worshipers with overflow seating in the auditorium next door. In its heyday, and as recently as the 1970s, the church had hundreds of members. But as of the turn of the millennium, membership had dwindled. Attendance at Sunday services had fallen precipitously, and on some Sundays it dropped to zero. The roof leaked. The remnant leadership was seriously discouraged. Well, by inclination, I'm a disaster-based minister, So this was my kind of ministry. So ignoring such small practical details as a four-hour round-trip commute, I set about happily testing the proposition that the only way to go in Pittsfield was up. And things did take a turn for the better. Attendance increased. We fixed the roof. Congregational morale was beginning to improve when halfway through my first year, a package addressed to the minister arrived from the Unitarian Universalist Association, the UUA in Boston. It contained materials for a comprehensive anti-racism program that I was to implement in my very small and still very fragile congregation. I examined the contents of this package with a growing sense of unease. I began to think that the goal of the program wasn't simply to increase awareness of racism in the world or in Pittsfield, Maine. No, the UUA had done a head count and decided there weren't enough non-white faces in our UU pews. And how could we call ourselves diverse or multicultural when our pews were so lamentably monochrome? And the solution was evidently a big dose of guilt. If we could all just be made to feel guilty enough, those minorities would just flock to our services because everyone knows a brown person enjoys nothing more than a Sunday morning spent in the company of apologetic white people. So in our services, in our adult and child religious education classes, in our small group seminars, the Unitarian Universalists of Pittsfield would be encouraged to confess to sins of conscious and unconscious racism, acknowledge complicity in the white power structure, and scour our hearts until they bled. On the plus side, once that happened, African Americans, the folk who form the most devoutly religious ethnic group in the country, the same ones who have somehow managed to overlook the unexpunged stains of racism in various Christian and Muslim traditions would at last deign to fill our post-Christian pews. And by their presence, not incidentally, they would provide visible public confirmation of what we UUs know to be true but have been embarrassingly unable to demonstrate. 
namely that we are the best, most moral, tolerant, open-minded, non-racist church for smart, mostly white people in the whole white world. (laughs) Well, I was loath to subject an already demoralized congregation to a program guaranteed because intended to make them feel uselessly awful. So we never did implement the UUA's anti-racism program at the First Universalist Church of Pittsfield. And I felt guilty about this until at General Assembly, UU Reverend, author, and bona fide AFAM Unitarian Universalist, Mark Morrison Reed declared that while Unitarian Universalism is growing in ethnic and racial diversity, it is not because of those UUA-generated anti-racism programs. No, he said, we're just reaping the rewards of a changing society. Class, much more than race, is what really defines UU culture. We remain a predominantly upper-middle-class denomination with a collective educational level that amounts to a master's degree on average for all of us. So if you haven't gotten your master's yet, don't worry. (laughs) We've got you covered. Well, by the fretful standards of 2001, the First Universalist Church of Pittsfield, Maine, being pretty much all white, was not diverse at all. But by Reverend Dr. Morrison Reed's new suggested standard, using economic class rather than race as the measure, the Pittsfield congregation was very diverse, with the relatively rich by Maine standards and the definitely poor by any standard, anchoring two ends of a veritable economic rainbow. Moreover, the Pittsfield Church was diverse in another way, one no one appeared to be thinking much about then, and no one seems to be fretting much about now either. At the First Universalist Church of Pittsfield, we had Republicans. (laughs) Back in 1990, which is about the time my first husband and I joined the Unitarian Universalist movement, The ratio of Democrats to Republicans in our Unitarian Universalist congregations was two to one. In 2012, UU Democrats outnumbered UU Republicans 11 to one. These data were recently compiled and published by the UUA together with some not particularly cheerful observations about what the first decade of the 21st century have brought for our tradition. A steep drop in financial health, an aging membership, I don't think that's a bad thing, but never mind, plus the dismal prospect of watching conservative Protestant groups wax fat around us. But nowhere in their notes was there any comment as to this stunning decline in our political diversity. Contrary to popular liberal belief, all Republicans are not evangelical or fundamentalist Christians. They aren't all white. They're not all male. They are not all homophobes. Some, indeed, are gay and lesbian. Dick Cheney's daughter Mary, for example. My father-in-law, my first husband, Drew's dad, was a staunch Republican. He and his wife both served in the Reagan administration before they retired to North Carolina. Ralph had grown up in the Episcopal Church, but as he got older, his ideas and his experience drew him away from Christianity and towards a thoughtful atheism. 
When Drew and I joined the Rockland UU, Ralph began to hear about Unitarian Universalists, and he was intrigued and gratified to know that the, there was a church that actually existed in which he would be welcomed and supported, even as he sorted out what he felt about God and Jesus' life and death. Whenever he came to visit us, Ralph would go to church with us, and he really enjoyed it. So I picture someone like Ralph surfing the web in search of a religious community. He comes across one of our UU Church websites. Ralph would identify strongly with this particular church, not this one, uh, this one happens to be in New Hampshire, with a church mission statement, which declares that its members, quote, understand reality through human experience, enlightened reason, the scientific method, the democratic process, and we find the central source of power and goodness within the human heart, mind, and spirit. Perfect, Ralph would say. Perfect, hallelujah. And then he would click on the link to the church newsletter, the one that is not only sent to church members, but is essentially broadcast to the world as the public voice of this New Hampshire congregation. This is the minister's message, the one Ralph would read. Quote, this year our church is trying out a system of monthly worship themes. When I saw that this month's theme is hope, I had a sinking feeling. I don't know about you, but the results of the last elections and escalating Middle East wars have left me a little depleted in the hope department. How can we talk about hope? How can we find hope when things look so bad? Let's leave aside for the moment whether the last election, a Republican landslide, was on the whole a bad thing for the country. And let's leave aside even whether it was in fact comparable to conflicts in the Middle East that in Syria alone have claimed almost 300,000 lives. Let's confine ourselves to wondering what effect reading that paragraph might have on a Republican looking for a spiritual community in which she or he can, quote, bring his or her whole self in the door, a church where every mind is free and every soul is welcome. Okay, but really, do we actually care if Democrats outnumber Republicans in UU congregations 11 to 1 or 20 to 1 or 100 to 1? I mean, so what if UU congregations are becoming more and more politically liberal? Let's face it, Republicans are getting weirder and weirder, right? <laughs> Why would we want those people in our churches? We could use a few more pledging units, of course. <laughs> Remember that drop in financial health the UUA is worried about? But how welcoming do we really want to be to the likes of George W. Bush, Sarah Palin, John Boehner, and Condoleezza Rice? Well, okay, maybe we would want to be welcoming to Condoleezza Rice. <laughs> but the rest of those people, please. Why not simply declare that Unitarian Universalism is not, in fact, a religion in which every mind is free and every soul is welcome? Let's tell it like it is, right? Unitarian Universalists are increasingly organizing our church around a creed. It's called political liberalism. We'll tolerate diverse beliefs only when it comes to things that don't actually matter that much, like whether or not there is a God. 
Presumably, any decent webmaster could adjust the mission statements on our websites with a few clicks of a mouse. As a liberal Democrat, you'll find support and a vibrant, accepting community here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here, as long as you aren't a Republican. <laughs> By the way, I happen to be a Democrat, but I would like to offer a few reasons why it might be important and even vital for our own growth as individuals, for the integrity of our religious movement, and even for the cause of national harmony and world peace, that we reverse the trend toward political uniformity in our congregations, hang on to our remaining Republicans, and see if we can't throw our nets over to the other side and snag a few more while we're at it. At the very least, we should stop ripping holes in our nets. One reason is represented by my father-in-law, Ralph, now my late father-in-law. If we unwelcome Republicans, we are failing to provide bona fide religious liberals, like him, of a religious home in which to grow and flourish. In doing so, we violate our own values and turn the mission statements and opening words of our congregations into meaningless nonsense, at best, and at worst, self-serving lies. As important, when we unwelcome Republicans, we deprive ourselves of opportunities for spiritual, intellectual, and moral growth and miss the opportunity to encourage other seekers, including Republican seekers, in the free and responsible search for truth and meaning. That the free and responsible search for truth and meaning, that is not an easy assignment. You new members, you don't know what you signed up for. <laughs> it is a serious challenge, and it should feel like one. All of us, and I do mean all of us, we are all subject to what scientists call the confirmation bias, the tendency to seek out and interpret new evidence in ways that confirm what we already think. And we're hardwired for this. Being right, or being confirmed in one's rightness, it releases a little hit of the neurotransmitter dopamine into the ventral striatum. It's a pleasure-reward center in the brain. You will be tested on this. <laughs> Lab rats given the chance to press a lever and get a dose of dopamine in their little ventral striata, they've been known to keep pushing that lever, forsaking all other activities until they starve to death. Having your biases confirmed isn't just fun, it's potentially addictive. And like any addiction, it makes you stupid. <laughs> One of the particular and important claims made by the Unitarian Universalist movement is that we we's, you use, deliberately try to counteract the seductions of the confirmation bias in ourselves and in each other. The point of being a diverse community is not that we merely tolerate people whose lifestyles, experiences, and ideas are different from ours, but that we might actually be challenged by them and learn something from them about what it really looks like in any given situation to stand on the side of love. The most common obstacle standing in the way of embarking on or continuing a spiritual journey is the illusion that you have already arrived. Friends, we have not arrived. Any human organization, but perhaps especially a church, 
will have a tendency to turn into a place where the like-minded come together to have our biases confirmed. Ah, yes, I'm right. I'm righteous, I'm saved, I believe the right things, and God loves me better than anyone. (laughs) If all you demand from your Sunday service is that your ventral striatum gets its weekly hit of dopamine, confirmation bias isn't a problem. It's the whole point. But if we are truly seeking spiritual and moral growth and hope to encourage spiritual and moral growth in others, if we really want to stand on the side of love, then confirmation bias is a big problem. You know, back when I was in seminary, I would commute back and forth to class with my friend Jeff Lewis, who at the time was studying to become an Episcopal priest. Jeff was as theologically liberal as I am, and he was politically liberal too, so our car quickly became a moving feast of confirmation bias. As we passed the time happily agreeing about gun control and global warming and the irrationality of Bill Clinton's impeachment, and one day Jeff was describing an argument he had been having with a, about welfare reform with one of his fellow parishioners at St. Peter's Church. This was a real argument with real heat and raised voices, and needless to say, the man Jeff was arguing with was a conservative Republican and therefore wrong. <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong. We agreed on that. But before either he or Jeff could really count the battle won, they had to stop arguing because the service was about to start. So they went into the sanctuary, and there for the next hour, the two of them sang the same hymns, prayed the same prayers, ate the same bread, and drank the same wine. There they harmonized their voices, if not their views, heard the words of the same Lord, passed the peace of the same Christ, and knelt down together before that which they both agreed was greater and more important than themselves. As I said, the First Universalist Church of Pittsfield was a frail and faltering thing when I became the minister. The months after 9-11 brought with them enormous moral and spiritual issues to be pondered and preached about. Week after week, the UUs of Pittsfield, relatively rich and pretty darn poor, Christians, Jews, pagans, atheists, gay and straight, Republicans, Democrats, and independents, we sang our hymns, we said our prayers, and we affirmed the church's covenant together. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest for truth is its sacrament, and service is its law to the end that all souls shall grow into harmony with the divine. Those were hard, good times. According to the Pew Research Center, Republicans and Democrats in the United States are more divided along ideological lines, and the resulting political acrimony is deeper and more extensive than at any point in recent U.S. history. Church is or at least church could be one of the places where liberals and conservatives find themselves together in the same room. As the psychologist and author Jonathan Haidt notes, a human being will not produce good, open-minded, truth-seeking reasoning on his or her own, especially when self-interest is involved. However, Haidt writes, 
If you put individuals together in the right way, such that some individuals can use their reasoning powers to disconfirm the claims of others, and all individuals feel some common bond or shared fate that allows them to interact civilly, you can create a group that ends up producing good reasoning as an emergent property of the social system. This is why, he says, it's so important to have intellectual and ideological diversity within any group or institution whose goal is to find, church, to find truth, such as, he says, an intelligence agency, such as a community of scientists, and I would add, such as a church. I highly recommend Jonathan Haidt's book as a fascinating, humbling look at what scientists are finding out about how precarious and flawed our moral reasoning can be. But because I am an action-oriented minister, I have a practical suggestion for an action, one that could, again, presumably be carried out swiftly by a competent webmaster. The mission statement of every UU church could be adjusted along the lines of the Brunswick, Maine, Unitarian Universalist Church's statement. This is the only one I found which says, we welcome all people regardless of religious background, race, gender, sexual orientation, or political leaning. <laughs> Click of a mouse. America, American culture, we are increasingly divided into bias-confirming, self-reinforcing echo chambers, and I fear we are part of the problem. I don't want us to be part of the problem. I want Unitarian Universalism to be part of the solution. I don't want my church to be an echo chamber where I only hear what I want to hear. I want to sing a hymn like, come, come, whoever you are, with Christians and atheists and humanists and Hindus and women who think other women are sexy and guys who used to be girls. And I want to sing it in harmony with someone who thinks fewer programs, lower taxes, and less government would make more people happy. Maybe I'll convince that guy he's wrong. Maybe he'll persuade me he isn't. That's scary. Or maybe we'll meet someplace closer to the middle and be able to get something done. Or maybe we'll just sing together. As the great universalist preacher Hosea Ballou declared, if we agree in love, there is no disagreement that can do us any injury. But if we do not agree in love, no other agreement can do us any good. Let us endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. Amen.